Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Did anybody out there call the meltdown? Well, yes. One person absolutely did. His name's Peter Schiff, and he's going to be on our show today talking about how he predicted the crash of the mortgage and real estate markets. Stay with us. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash real estate guys. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Thanks for tuning in. You've picked a great week to tune in. We've got a great show for you. First meet our co-host, financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. Hey there. We've been looking forward to this for some time. We have been. We have absolutely have been. You know, we've been watching what's been going on in the market for the last two or three years. We've read a lot of different things about what people have said, and there's some people taking credit for having predicted it, but a lot of the predictions that I looked at didn't give a reason why that made sense. No, most of the predictions were, hey, you know what goes up must come down. It can't go on forever. You watch. There's going to be a downturn. But uh, the guest we have today on the show, he called it almost exactly. And not, He called it almost exactly, and he explains the reasons behind it, and they're very plausible. They're very easy to understand. And, and I think really the point of all that is when you understand basic principles, we talk all the time about supply, demand, capacity to pay, and how the demographics and demand drive the pricing. He's got some really interesting theories in this book or, or statements in this book about how pricing comes into existence, that price is not necessarily wealth. And when you are re relying upon the price of your stocks or the price of your real estate for your wealth, you're not really wealthy. You're in a very precarious position. And it's brilliant and very, very easy to read. Well, the interesting thing, this book is called Crash Proof. And the original book came out when? 2006. Six. And uh, then, of course, he's redone the book. In 2006, it was uh, how you can be ready for the coming crash. Yes. And now the book is what to do and how to profit from the fact there has been a crash. Well, he actually takes the book in its original format and, he, and you just read it just like it was written in 2006. And at the end of each chapter, he appends to it from 2009 and you get a chance where he's looking forward in the 2006 text to where he's looking back at what he predicted in the 2006 and dissecting it. And then you take that momentum and you look forward from 2009 forward and he's saying, hey, here's the things that I think are going to happen. Well, you know, when a guy calls it so right you really want to hear what he has to say. Yeah, absolutely. People are definitely paying attention. Plus, I think uh, Mr. Schiff has uh, definitely developed a following. He's out speaking a lot. He speaks 150 days a year. Uh, you've seen him speak. He yep. he, go, he flies through his material, doesn't use notes. He doesn't use PowerPoint. I mean, the guy knows his stuff. He's got a lot of passion. He And again, he, just, he follows some basic principles. And I think once you master those basic principles, you can begin to see for yourself in everyday headlines. You know, we do clues in the news all the time because there are certain things that if you just understand the framework, you know how to bucketize, if you will, the information that's coming at you and interpret it. And that's what I watch him do. And again, you know, I've hung around with a lot of economists and sometimes these guys are so smart, you can't even understand what they're saying. And 
Peter's not that way. When you talk to Peter, he's just a regular guy and he speaks regular language and you listen to him and it just makes sense. And, you know, he does put his money and a lot of other clients' money where his mouth is. Uh, he, of course, is the principal of Europe Pacific Capital and they are all over the place. Uh, has a great newsletter that comes out. He does a, a weekly podcast and video blog as well. So uh, he's definitely a connected guy. Uh, he's got another brand new book that we're not only going to talk about before we're done today, we're going to give you a chance to win an autographed copy of. So I think you're really going to be uh, interested in what uh, Mr. Peter Schiff has to say. Uh, we were able to uh, interview Peter at the Freedom Fest event, which uh, took place a few weeks back. If you missed our show last week, we actually uh, had a very extended show uh, with a lot of the great uh, interviews from that event. Uh, Peter came and sat down in the chair and, and gave us uh, a nice long interview. So uh, we, we're going to dedicate the whole uh, show to you. hear a little bit of background noise and so forth at the event. But I think you'll really enjoy our interview today with Peter Schiff. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys Radio Network. I'm your host, Robert Helms. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of The Real Estate Guys, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. Hey, I'm right here on the Audible.com website, just looking up books by Steve Forbes and found this book, Power, Ambition, Glory, the stunning parallels between great leaders of the ancient world and today and the lessons you can learn. There are so many great books on audible.com if you're into steve forbes listen next week when he's on this show steve forbes on the real estate guys in the meantime for a free audiobook of your choice go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash real estate guys that's audiblepodcast.com forward slash real estate guys Hello, Robert Kiyosaki listen to the real estate guys they're wild and crazy but they really know what they're talking about and welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program, heard every weekend on this fine radio station and all the time at realestateguysradio.com. I'm your host, Robert Helms. For years, we've been talking about so few people calling the economic collapse. Nobody saw this coming, but nobody isn't exactly true. The man you're about to meet really did call the economic collapse in his book, Crash Proof, because he pays attention to this stuff like nobody else. Please welcome to the Real Estate Guys, Peter Schiff. Hey, Peter. Hey. Thanks for having me on, Rob. Hey, great to have you on the program. So uh, so you've got a, a very interesting background. Obviously, you spend a lot of time getting your head around uh, what's going on in the economy and investments and, and the like. How did you see it coming? Well, the, the question for me is why did so few people see it when it seems so obvious? And I think what happens is when you get trapped inside a bubble, it's hard to see it. Yeah. I was kind of on the outside, and my vision was unimpaired. Uh, you know, I had been renting uh, my uh, apartment in California. And so I, I had a more objective view of the real estate market than a lot of other people. I, you know, I saw what I was paying in rent, and I knew what my landlord was, you know, they were, the houses were selling for that were similar to the one I was renting. And I knew that it didn't make sense that what I was paying in rent uh, was so much lower. You know, I know from the stock market uh, that dividends are what value stocks and, and rents are what valued real estate. And I saw the big disconnect. And I also looked at the way real estate was being financed. I saw people buying houses with very little of their own money down, if any. And as real estate prices were rising, whatever equity they might have had, they extracted through a cash out. And I, I saw the banks extending credit in ways that you know made absolutely no sense. And I knew that there were huge losses. I just imagined, you know, think about all these banks and all the loans they've made. They're not going to get paid back. The collateral isn't there because the property isn't worth what the buyers paid. I imagine, you know, all these banks failing. 
Uh, and what would that do to the economy as real estate collapsed, as all of a sudden the lending standards uh, got higher? So I, I saw this bubble bursting. And I, in fact, before I wrote Crash Proof, my original book was all going to be about the real estate bubble. And it was going to be, you know, the coming American nightmare. Or, and I was going to write about why real estate was going to collapse and, and what it was going to do to the economy. And then I decided to make it a more encompassing book. And I condensed the real estate part down to a chapter on the coming real estate debacle. But I used to get into so many arguments when I was living in Southern California in 2004 and 2005. Nobody wanted to hear that real estate was going to go down. I mean, and, and I got in arguments with friends, family members. I mean, sometimes really, you know, when, when, because people, no, you know, when people are, well, I just bought this house or I bought this second house. And I would say, well, why'd you do that? Don't you, I mean, or people were buying properties as an investment, yet they were losing money every month because the rent wasn't equal to their mortgage. Right. And I would try to say, well, that doesn't make any sense. And we get in these huge arguments because, well, it's going to appreciate. And I would say, why? I mean, who's gonna who's gonna pay more than you did because you already overpaid? But you know, so it was we were all living in this in this in this crazy world. But you know, now a lot of people in hindsight look back and say, well, of course, you know, no doc loans, liars loans, you know, teaser rates, you know, these pick a payment. I mean, now in, in hindsight, everybody can see what was crystal clear to me in, in foresight. But the problem is now we have greater economic threats coming that still people are oblivious to, which of course, after the fact, you'll have a lot of uh, Monday morning quarterbacks, but the key is to understand these problems in advance so you can do something to either prevent it or at least prepare for it. Absolutely. Now, I think uh, you probably also have some uh, firm thoughts on uh, the stimulus and, and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about the, the medicine being worse than the, maybe the, the sickness. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. Well, you have to understand the reason we had a real estate bubble was because of government stimulus. Yep. Remember, it was the bursting of the stock market bubble, another bubble caused by government stimulus. But when that bubble burst, instead of allowing the recession, we had government stimulus. We had monetary stimulus from the Fed, interest rates down to 1%. We had fiscal stimulus from Bush with more spending and, and tax cuts. And we primed the pump. And the stimulus resulted in the housing bubble because of the cheap mortgages that the stimulus made possible. Because of stimulus money, Americans went on a global spending spree. We spent trillions of dollars we didn't have. The trade deficit went through the ceiling. The savings rate went through the floor. We made a lot of mistakes because of the stimulus. The collapse in 2008 was the payback for that stimulus. You know, think of government stimulus like alcohol. And a recession is the hangover. Yeah. See, when, so when you drink a bunch of alcohol, initially, it feels pretty good, but you know what? You do a lot of stupid things yeah. when you're drunk. Sure. The next morning when you wake up, you don't feel so well. You got a hangover, and you think, "Oh my God, I can't believe I did that!" Right? And so you got to you got to correct those mistakes. But the government doesn't want us correcting the mistakes because there's some short-term pain. So they want to liquor us back up. They think that you know the best cure is more alcohol, right. and that's what the stimulus is. So you got to ask yourself: Look at all the damage the Bush. Greenspan stimulus did. How much more damage is the Obama Bernanke stimulus? Because it's bigger. It's a bigger dose. 
right? This isn't just a couple of shots, right? This this is this is bottles and bottles. This right. is like we're drinking, we're we're emptying out the liquor cabinet this time. This is a bender for sure. <laughs> so where we are now, right? The, your first book, you talked about how to profit from the coming economic collapse, and you updated the book to say, well, we're we're here. It's happened. Yeah. <laughs> so so what's what's an investor to do? Well, hunker down. You know, I mean, it's you have to understand that the ultimate casualty is going to be the value of our money, the value of the dollar, because the stimulus is creating more money. Yep. And when you add more money to the economy, but not more production, the money just loses value. And so that's what happens. I mean, this huge government, the government is now spending $4 trillion a year, yet we're only collecting $2.5 trillion a year in taxes, and I guess only is in quotes, but that still leaves a deficit of $1.5 trillion. How is that being financed? Well, it's going to be paid for by investors, by savers, people who have money in the bank, who have government bonds, who have municipal bonds. The value of those assets is, is being taken by the government and spent into the economy. And so to avoid that huge tax, that inflation tax, you need to get out of the dollar before you lose its value. So you need to buy gold. That's why gold prices are now over $1,200 an ounce. People are figuring this out. You buy silver, you buy commodities, or you invest in assets abroad. So you're not exposed to the dollar of the U.S. economy. I, I love the, the, the Asian markets. I'm, my favorites are China, uh, Hong Kong, Singapore. I also have a lot of money in resource economies, Canada up to the north, Australia, Norway. Uh, I've got some money in, in, in Europe as well uh, and in Latin America. But the key is to understand that you need to have investments where their income and the dividends that they pay are not U.S. dollars. So when the dollar collapses, you know, it's not your portfolio or your purchasing power that's being destroyed. I mean, unfortunately, it's probably your neighbors. Uh, but we have to do what we can to protect ourselves. At a minimum, that will enable us to bring that money home if we ever get the right policies coming out of Washington. Because we're going to need Americans who aren't broke to try to finance uh, the next industrial revolution that we're going to need in this country if we're ever going to reclaim the type of standard of living that, that, that our grandparents or our parents enjoyed. Now, there's folks that were saying, well, you know, recently we've seen the dollar get a little bit stronger and we're looking against uh, the euro and other currencies. Uh, what's your take on that? Well, the dollar got a little stronger uh, after weakening for about a year. I mean, right. the dollar, you know, the dollar index got down to about, I'd say, 78, 79, and then it had a rally up closer to 90. It's weakened in the last uh, several weeks. It's now back down around 83 and a half. Uh, so, you know, and it looks to me like you know, if we break below 83, you know, we could go all the way back down to the lows. And ultimately, you know, the dollar has been in a bear market for a long time. And you go back uh, to the late 1970s, early 1970s, you know, this, you, the Swiss franc was 25 cents. It's now 90 cents. Yep. Uh, you know, you got 360 yen to the dollar. Now you only get about 95. So the dollar has lost value. And of course, you could get for $35, you got an ounce of gold. Now it takes 1,200 of them. Yeah. Uh, so this is a long term bear market, but I think it's really going to kick into a whole new gear uh, based on what we've been doing. When other foreign central banks stop buying dollars, uh, when they depeg, uh, you know, I think it's going to drop like a stone. I, I think it's going to lose at a minimum half its value below that 80 level. So maybe the dollar index goes down to 40. But it can go to 20. It can go to 10. You know, who knows? They also people that saying, you know, they look at the at history and say, well, every fiat currency has always gone to zero. Uh, what's your feeling on the dollar going to, to nothing and being replaced? Well, it's well, it doesn't have to go to nothing, but it can approach it. 
you know, I mean, even the Zimbabwe dollar isn't worth zero, but right. it's worth something approximating zero. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, a lot of Latin American currencies have collapsed and they're still there in some form. I mean, the intrinsic value of the dollar is zero. And that's the problem with fiat currencies is they ultimately go to their intrinsic value. We had real money up until 1971 because the dollar was backed by gold. Yep. And what gave it value was the gold backing because the paper had no intrinsic value. Now, what we got the rest of the world to do was back their currencies by dollars instead of gold. Because after all, the dollar was backed by gold. But now that we left the gold standard, and now you have other countries that still back their currency with dollars, it makes no sense. They say, well, what is backing up the euro? Well, the euro is backed by dollars. Well, what's backing up the dollar? Nothing. So there's nothing backing up the euro. So when, what's going to happen is nations around the world are going to realize their mistake, and they're not going to have another reserve currency because that was the mistake. The reserve has to be money. Currency is backed by money. It's a money substitute. The reserves have to be cold. And you know, when, when the world rediscovers that, we are in for a rude awakening because now all of a sudden we have to live beyond, beyond our, within our means. If we want to buy something that we didn't make, we need the gold to pay for it. We just can't print money. And you know, I, I've invested in a lot of gold mining companies, and believe me, printing money is a lot easier than mining gold. I bet it is. <laughs> our guest today is Peter Schiff. I'm your host, Robert Helms. We come back more from Peter on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Feeling outgunned when dueling through loan mod negotiations with your lender? Discover the underwater borrower's secret weapon and how you can make your loan modification your lender's idea. Get the special report by consumer advocate Martin Andelman. Send your request to analyze this at realestateguysradio.com. Don't go into your loan mod battle unarmed. Get the free report. Send your email to analyze this at realestateguysradio.com or visit the special reports page under resources at realestateguysradio.com. Hi, this is Kendra Todd, winner of The Apprentice, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. And welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. We're talking today with Peter Schiff. Uh, he's an author of several books. We'll talk about another one of his books uh, here in a minute. Uh, and also a financial advisor. Now, you've been uh, with Euro Pacific Capital now for uh, more than 10 years. Uh, yes. And uh, tell us what you do there at the firm. Well, I own a business, uh, but what we do there is we help uh, individuals uh, invest their money, mainly outside the United States, although we do have some domestic investments, but I'm trying to protect my clients uh, from runaway inflation. I'm trying to preserve their wealth in an environment that's very hostile to that wealth. I mean, you have a government that is literally undermining our economy, undermining the profitability and the productivity of our businesses and the very value of our money. Uh, I also do money management. I have two mutual funds that I run. I run a managed account program, and I do a lot of investment banking. I, I help companies raise the capital that they need to make the investments they need to grow and expand their businesses. And if you uh, already weren't busy enough, uh, you spend some time writing some books. Let's talk about uh, this book, which is uh, your newer book, How an Economy Grows and Why It Crashes. You know, that's my latest book. And unfortunately, we're in the second uh, stage of it right now. The, the, the Why crashes It Crashes, part, yeah. Right? But I think it's very important that people understand why this is happening. Because very few people do. There's so much disinformation and misinformation out there, most of it deliberately from the government. But that's why people want stimulus. They don't, they don't understand, you know, the government is, we need more spending. Well, no, no, we don't. We're in trouble because we spent too much. We're in debt because we borrowed money and spent it. We're not going to solve the problem by spending more. 
So what this book does is it, is, is it puts aside those myths and it shows that what really grows an economy is the absence of spending. It's the fact that we don't spend all of our money because what we don't spend, we save. And it's savings that finances capital investment. That's what enables businesses to produce. That's what enables them to provide employment opportunities. It's because we produce that we get to consume. It's not the other way around. And so what we really need to do is go back to the root cause of our original prosperity, which was underconsumption and investment and savings. And what makes that possible is limited government. It's few regulations. It's low taxes. But we can't have low taxes unless the government isn't spending a lot. And if the government is borrowing a lot, well, they're borrowing away the very money that we need to invest. See, the, if the government borrows it, that means somebody else can't borrow it. Yep. There's not an infinite amount of it. You know, there's finite resources. And the government doesn't have any resources of its own. It doesn't produce anything. It only has what it takes from the private sector. But what it takes from the private sector, the private sector can't invest. And so, you know, when you have the government stimulus, which is about growing the government, making the government bigger, well, the economy has to shrink to make room for that bigger government because the resources that it needs, right, are being funneled to Washington. And the difference is when the private sector has the resources, it makes productive use of them. When the government has them, it just squanders it. It gets spent on bureaucracy, on legislation. It's just doled out. There's no real wealth production going on. Now, what's really interesting, I think, about this book is that not only does, do you explain it in a way people can understand, but you use a lot of pictures. Well, this the whole idea is to make it simple, yeah. right? That economics is a lot simpler than people want you to think. And so this is a fable. It's illustrated. It's, it's funny. And you can read it in three hours. And it is a book about economics that people will actually read, they will actually enjoy, and when they finish reading it, they will understand. They will understand more about economics than a guy like Paul Krugman, who has a Nobel Prize in the science. Well, you know, that's one of the things about so many economic books, right, is that they're daunting and they're big and they're difficult reads. And so being able to bring it down to a language that people understand uh, is huge. And it's simple, but it's not oversimplified. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot to understand, right? Well, yeah. I mean, these are, these are what people have made to be complex issues. But if you, if you read this book, you'll understand the business cycle, you'll understand inflation, you'll understand savings, you'll understand everything about the financial crisis, you'll understand why we had a housing bubble and why it burst and, and why what the government has done is making the problem worse instead of helping uh, to solve it. I mean, you, you have a solid understanding. I mean, it's all Austrian economics and you'll, you'll understand Keynes and why, you know, why he's wrong and why these policies that are based on his philosophy is, are doomed to fail. You know, so many people are surprised by what happens. Like you said, a lot of people were surprised by the collapse of 2008. Well, I wasn't surprised. And I wasn't surprised because I understood the basics. The people who were surprised are the people who don't. You know, it's like if you were to go, if you're sick and you went to a witch doctor and that witch doctor just, you know, you know made you drink a potion or wave some you know, beads in front of you, some juju beads, you know, would you be surprised if you didn't get better? Right? <laughs> you know, it, but it's not because medicine doesn't work. It's right. because you, you went to a witch doctor. Right. If you go to an actual doctor that understands the disease and he gives you the right cure, you're going to get better. Novel thought for sure. Well, you know, and I think that uh, where we are in the economy, probably more people are finally sitting up and, and taking notice. I mean, there's a lot of interesting things going on. Crazy time to be alive. Yeah, you're right. A lot of people were saying, well, it's going to crash. But I don't think 
many people called it for the right reasons. That's the distinction, Peter. You yeah, called it I for mean, the right reasons. There are a lot of people that try to discredit me because they'll say, oh, you know, Chicken Little. I mean, if you say things are going to collapse long enough, eventually you're going to be right. Well, I didn't just say that things were going to collapse. I explained exactly what was going to collapse and why. Yeah. I, mean, I went into the problems with securitization, the problems with subprime, the problems with the rating agencies, the problems with Freddie and Fannie, the problems with the Fed, all the aspects of the mortgage market. I went into in, in precise, precise detail. Now, some people say, yeah, but you were saying that for years. Yes, the problem didn't start in 2008. No. It started in 2002, 2003, when we started inflating the bubble. I didn't really start aggressively writing about it until 2004, because by then I thought, okay, this is off the charts. But when I was warning about the bubble in 04 and 05 and 06, it was still expanding. And, and, and people were just laughing at me and making fun of me. Because as I was, you know, saying that real estate's a bubble, the prices kept rising. Yeah. And I and and the GDP and the stock market kept going up, and I kept pointing up. But look at the debt. You know, all we're doing is spending borrowed money. Look at the, and they say, oh, well, you're not looking at the real estate assets, looking at the home equity, look at the stock market. I said, yeah, but those are just prices. Prices can fall. The debt's real. It's still there. Right. It's got to be repaid. And a lot of it is with adjustable rate mortgages. What happens when these rates go up? Who's going to pay the mortgage? Especially when the real estate prices start to fall, who's going to want to pay? Right. You know, people couldn't see these things. So, you know, and the thing is, as I said earlier, you have to spot these things in advance. You know, if you understand the problem, you understand it early. And and, and just because you warned about something a few years before it happens, it doesn't mean you're wrong. Nobody knows exactly. Of course not. When it's going to happen. Right. But you understand the the dynamics that are involved. I see a bubble inflating. I know it will burst. You don't know when but you know it will. So now, uh, in that vein, let's get out the crystal ball here a little bit. Uh, here we are sitting in the middle of 2010. Um, what do you think is going to happen next? In where? where? <laughs> well, well, let's talk about the real estate market. Uh, we're seeing, for some signs, in some marketplaces, the prices starting to come back and sales starting to come back. There was, of course, the big uh, stimulus with the tax credits and so forth, and that's kind of waned Yeah, well, the, the stimulus went away, uh, some of it, and, you know, we had the biggest plunge in new home sales ever, I think, was a 30% uh, decline. Um, you know, real estate prices are still too high. Yeah. The average American can't afford to buy a house unless the government guarantees the loan. That tells you that the price is too high. The average American doesn't have a 20% down payment. You know, so prices still have to fall before they become affordable. Uh, there's still a lot of uh, unoccupied homes, vacant properties on the market. Um, there's a lot of foreclosures uh, where the properties have yet to be sold. There's a lot of people who are in their homes that haven't paid mortgages in a year or two, and the banks haven't done anything about it. Right. So you have all these shadow inventory. We have a lot of unemployed people. More people are going to be unemployed a year from now than they are today. Uh, and ultimately, interest rates are going to rise. So imagine what's going to happen when the subsidy of low interest rates is removed. And mortgage rates aren't at record lows, but at record highs. So I think prices are still going a lot lower. The only reason they might not go a lot lower is going to be because of massive inflation. But if you look through a different prism, if you look at, say, gold, and you say, what's going to happen to real estate prices in terms of gold? They will collapse. I mean, they, will, they could decline by 90% or more. Uh, but in terms of fiat currency, in terms of the dollar, it's possible that real estate prices will actually rise. But, you know, they'll rise a lot more slowly than other prices. So you might be living in a million-dollar house, but you're not going to afford to heat it, or you can't afford the air condition because that's going to really, you know. So, and, and what if something goes wrong? 
you can't afford to repair your property because the, the supplies and materials are so expensive. You know, so what's going to start happening is people are, you know, people are going to be living in dilapidated houses. A lot of people might start taking on boarders or roommates or things like that because they, they can't afford to maintain the properties. But the, what we need is lower real estate prices. You know, we have to allow price to adjust. But, of course, if we let real estate prices come down, then the banks are insolvent. Their insolvency is exposed. The government doesn't want that. So the government wants to prop real estate prices up. I mean, that's, you know, initially when they, when they created Freddie and Fannie, which should not exist, but their initial mission was affordable housing. Yep. Now their mission is to prop up high home prices, to keep homes unaffordable so that people have to go into debt to buy them. You know, why not let the prices come down and then people won't have to borrow so much money? The only reason they're trying to prop them up is because the banks are exposed when, when they come down. And they don't, and they don't want to let them fail. You know, it's interesting. You uh, talked about uh, people uh, changing their behavior. And we've seen in 2009 less household formations, not by a little, but by a lot. So people are clustering, families living together, staying with mom and dad, doing what they have to do. When that turns around and prices are finally where they need to be, it's not that people aren't interested in having a place to live. It's that they can't afford it. Well, sure. You know, I mean, just, I mean, having a place to live is good, right? right I mean, yeah, every, sure. nobody wants to be out in, out in the street. But, you know, a lot of people who bought houses during the housing bubble, they didn't really buy them as a place to live. They bought them as an investment. Right. There were a lot of people that were happy to rent because, you know, I was a renter for a long time. Um, I actually own a house now, but you know, as a renter, you have a lot of flexibility. Your circumstances change. If you get a job in another town, I mean, if you want, it's very easy to pick up and leave. I mean, you have a lease. Usually, it's no more than a year, and you can usually break a lease. It's not that expensive to get out of a lease, or you could, you know, so you have a lot of flexibility. You don't have any, you know, worries or headaches. You know what your rent is, right? Yes, your landlord might raise it, but generally. Rents don't go up a lot every year. A lot of times landlords, you know, they, if you're a good tenant, they're not going to jack up your rent. But you, know, you, you don't have to worry about a major problem. You know, there's a leak in the roof or, you know, there's a major problem and you have to come up with a big cash expenditure. That's your landlord's problem. Yep. Uh, you don't have to worry about property taxes, about insurance. Uh, and so a lot of people were very happy. You know, they didn't want to take care of the lawn or the you know. but. The lure of the quick buck, as real estate prices were rising from 2000 to 2003 or four, a lot of people saw an opportunity to get rich. And the realtors pushed people into properties based on an investment. Why are you renting? You're throwing away your money. You know, you can't lose in real estate. And so people were buying houses, not because they wanted wanted to be a homeowner, they wanted to be rich. And they saw all their friends who were homeowners getting rich. And they were the poor schmucks, you know, who were working for a living. You know, imagine two people, you know, their kids that graduated from college and somebody bought a condo in 2000 and somebody rented. By 2004, the person that bought the condo had a couple hundred thousand dollars that they can pull out and spend on vacations, on a new car. No ta- and the poor renter was like, felt left out. And so he got suckered in. So you've got to, you know, you've got to get all those people who, who bought for the wrong reasons, you know, they're going to get out. And we have to have a market where people understand that a house is a depreciating asset, that it's, it's an expenditure, that you don't buy a house to get rich. You get rich and then you buy a house because you can afford one because it's going to be a drain on, on your income. And people used to tell me when I was renting, well, you're throwing all this money away on renting. I said, well, no, I'm not. I mean, I have to live. I mean, am I throwing money away on food? You know, I'm not a farmer. I buy food. I don't grow my own food. Am I, am I throwing money away? And the question was, well, what was I doing with the money I saved? Because I pointed out, 
that my rent was a lot lower than what they were paying in interest and taxes and depreciation. Yep. The money I didn't spend in rent, I was investing. I was building a portfolio of income-producing assets. And my dividends were higher than my rent. I mean, what's it cost me anything? I mean, what was the opportunity cost of not owning what I was owning? But they kept saying, yeah, but I'm making, getting money on the appreciation as well. Well, that's all an illusion. Right. That's a bubble. Real estate's an investment if you can get a good return on it in a rental return. Absolutely. You know? Our guest today is Peter Schiff. When we come back, you're going to have an opportunity to win a copy of his book, How an Economy Grows and Why It Crashes. We are the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helm. Stay with us. Are you ready to profit in paradise? Hi, it's Robert Helms. And if you think real estate investing means tenants, toilets, and termites, think again. Located just a short plane ride from the U.S., a virtually untouched paradise awaits. The beautiful country of Belize. When you go to Belize with the Real Estate Guys, you'll spend four fabulous days discovering one of the most intriguing real estate markets I've ever seen. With its jungle rainforests, pristine beaches, and 81-degree turquoise water, Belize is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Plus, it's considered one of the top seven tax havens in the world. And why U.S. real estate continues to drop, Belize property is on the rise, and many experts think the best is yet to come. But don't just take my word for it. Come experience Belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip. When you join us, you'll discover the many reasons we love Belize, like tremendously undervalued beachfront land, super low taxes, ease of doing business, and so much more. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events. See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com, and I'll see you in beautiful Belize. Hi, I'm Steve Forbes. You're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Listen up. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning in and uh, listening to the show. If you like today's show, uh, be sure and tell a friend. And, and if you don't, well, then don't. Hey, before we get back to our interview with Peter Schiff, uh, we were going to play real estate trivia. Here's how it works. I'm going to ask you a trivia question that has something to do with real estate. And uh, the first person with the right answer is going to get an autographed copy of Peter's new book, How an Economy Grows and Why It Crashes. He's going to sign it for you. And uh, we're going to send it out to you if you're the uh, the first person with the right answer. So uh, here's what you're going to do. Uh, listen to the question and then send us your best guess to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Make sure you include your name and your mailing address so that uh, if you are the winner, we can send this autographed uh, book to you. Here is our real estate uh, trivia question. There's a lot of different beautiful places in the world to go visit. We're going to visit three of those places on our upcoming ninth Annual Investor Summit at Sea. What are they? That's right. What three ports are we going to uh, in April of 2011? And uh, it's easy to look up, but you got to be the first. So quickly, uh, send out the email, trivia at realestateguysradio.com. You'll get, a uh, if you're the first person, an autographed copy of Peter's new book. We're here with Peter Schiff, who wrote How an Economy Grows and, and Why It Crashes. And, boy, you're taking a, a new turn here. Let's talk about... Uh about your run for office, my friend. We're going to get you in the Senate. Hopefully. Well, what prompted that? And uh, tell us about how it's going. Well, you know, the country is in a lot of trouble, and the people who are leading it are the people who got us into trouble. And, you know, all they're giving us is more of the same. And a lot of people around the country uh, got me to uh, throw my hat into the ring and to run for U.S. Senate. Uh, the primary is coming up on August 10th. I'm running in the state of Connecticut. There are two other uh, people on the ballot who are trying to get the nomination. Uh, I am currently third of the three of us. Uh, the front runner is a woman, Linda McMahon, who owns a World Wrestling Entertainment with her husband, Vince. They've spent tremendous amounts of money uh, buying their way to the top of the polls. But 
I still can win. I think I have a real shot. I've, you know, I've got the support of all the grassroots organizations in the state of Connecticut. I've got the tea parties behind me. I've got about 25,000 individuals around the country who have donated to my campaign. Uh, but I really need to make a push. I, you know, the polls show that I can win if we can get my message out there. My uh, favorables versus unfavorables are the highest of any of the candidates in the race. It's just that my name recognition is currently the lowest. So uh, if we can get that up, the way your listeners can help is there's two things they can do. They can go to my campaign website, shiftforsenate.com, and make a donation so that we have the resources to buy the media that we need in the closing weeks leading up to the campaign. Or they can also help me with phone banking on my website, shiftforsenate.com. No matter where you live in the country, uh, you can use phone banking. You dial into an 800 number, so it's free for you. The minute you dial in, uh, this program will automatically start calling registered Republican voters in the state of Connecticut. And if an answering machine picks up the phone, you just push a button and you will leave a pre-recorded message about me, which is great. It's like a free ad on their vo voicemail. And if somebody picks up, then you start talking. You tell them, have you heard of Peter Schiff? You know he's running for the United States Senate. Go to SchiffForSenate.com. Check him out. You really got to support him. It's, it's important that he wins. Say whatever you want. Convince the person to vote for me. And then go on to the next guy. And if I can get 1,000 people uh, making you know, 10, 20 calls a day, 50 calls a day, there's only 100,000 people who are going to vote in the Republican primary in the state of Connecticut. Let's call every one of those people and make sure they vote for me. All right, there you go. Boy, now he is sounding like a politician. Well, uh, hey, I'm not a politician. <laughs> I'm running for office, but I'm not a politician. And, and the proof of that is I've already pledged to not run for re-election if I win. Wow. One term and I'm out. Wow. That's it. So nothing that I will do while a senator will be about trying to get re-elected. Well, can you can you imagine? Uh, I mean, let's let's face it. Not only did you did you call this, you made a lot of great predictions. You're a guy who puts his money where his mouth is. You manage millions and millions and millions of dollars for other people, and you seem to get that right more than you get it wrong. What would it be like if we had somebody who really understood that uh, in that chair? Well, we'll have to see. I mean, the question is, can I be persuasive enough to actually make a difference? I mean, it's a long shot that having me in the Senate is actually going to do anything because. I'm one guy. There's 99 guys there that are, <laughs> that are doing it wrong. But somebody's got to do it. You know, one of the things I want to do is lead the filibuster against increasing the debt ceiling. Because every single year, the Senate votes to increase the debt ceiling. Yep. If they don't do that, then we can't borrow any more money, which means there's no money for Obamacare. There's no money for all this stuff. But every year, these same senators who go home and campaign for a balanced budget vote to unbalance it. They vote to increase the debt ceiling. So I am going to force the issue. I'm going to filibuster their attempt to increase it. And any Republican who crosses my filibuster is a hypocrite. And let's make sure that they don't get reelected. But if I can find 40 Republicans to stand with me, then we win. The government has to stop spending. So if you're fed up with the deficits and the spending, if I get elected, it might stop. We don't need the House to pass anything. We don't need the president to sign anything because they can't overcome a filibuster in the Senate if there's 41 senators that are standing firm. All right. Well, hey, let's talk about how you uh, continue to get some of your great information out. I know you and your team do a podcast once a week. How does somebody... Uh Get a hold of that. Oh, my, let's go to my uh, corporate site, you know, Europac.net, E-U-R-O-P-A-C.net. You know, I do a weekly radio broadcast, uh, Wall Street Unspun, every Wednesdays. There's podcasts there. There's a lot of television 
and lectures that I've done over the years that are on that site. A lot of them are all over YouTube as well, and some of them are on my Shift for Senate site. But there is so much information. That's why if you're making these phone calls, you can encourage people. Put Peter Schiff into YouTube. Put me into Google. See what comes up. I mean, there's a, you know, if you put Peter Schiff was right into uh, Google, you get 650,000 results. That's in, in, in quotes, the yeah. exact words. Peter Schiff was right. 650,000 entries. Put any other politician was right in quotes, you won't get anything. <laughs> well, there you go. Peter, we sure appreciate your time on today's program. Uh, thanks for uh, the hard work you do and uh, for sharing it uh, with our listeners. Anytime. All right, there we go. Peter Schiff, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, you can uh, find out more, and we encourage you to do that. We come back, we'll talk uh, more. I'm your host, Robert Elms. We're the Real Estate Guys. Are you upside down in your home or investment property? Would you like to refinance but can't? Are you tired of dipping into your savings or credit cards just to make the mortgage payments? If you read the newspapers, you know you're not alone. But is the government going to save you? Don't count on it. If you want to take charge of your own personal bailout program, then you need to find out which loan workout options are available to you. To help you, the Real Estate Guys have written an 18-page report, What You Must Know Before Attempting a Loan Workout. Best of all, you can have it for free. How's that for economic stimulus? To get yours, simply email your request to workout at realestateguysradio.com. That's workout at realestateguysradio.com. Hope is not a strategy. If you need help with problem mortgages, read What You Must Know Before Attempting a Loan Workout. Knowledge is power. Send your request to workout at realestateguysradio.com. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. And welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program, heard every week on this great radio station all the time at our website, realestateguysradio.com. Boy, what a high-energy guy Peter Schiff is. He absolutely high-energy, high-intellect. You know, just watching his body language and the way he was moving around at the floor of the convention, he's just um, very fast walking, talking, mind, eyes, constantly moving, just just a bundle of energy. What a dynamic guy. Well, and he's always taking it in. I mean, we have a couple of neat stories about uh, Peter. First of all, we had a chance uh, to set up the interview, and we thought we'd have about 10 minutes, and you heard we had a lot more than that. Once he sat down in the chair, he's like, hey, I don't have a book signing for half an hour. Let's go for it. And uh, we could have gone longer than that. Uh, and then he found out that uh, we also had an interview scheduled uh, with uh, Steve Forbes. And next week on the Real Estate Guys radio program, Steve Forbes will be our guest. You want to make sure you tune in for that uh, interview. Uh, but when he found out, he said, wow, I have a my new book I'd like to give uh, Steve a copy of, and I really want to talk to, to Steve Forbes. So I had this great opportunity. I'm going to get Mr. Forbes to bring him over to uh, the booth so he can do the interview. And while I'm there, I decide to meet him at the book signing where Peter Schiff is signing the books. So I get Forbes and Schiff together and I see Schiff ask Mr. Forbes if he would endorse him for his senatorial candidate, uh, his run in, in Connecticut. And they said, yeah, let's get together and talk. Well, I just saw a little while ago that Mr. Forbes gave uh, Peter Schiff his endorsement, and it's just really cool to have been right there when that deal went down. <laughs> yeah, you don't, usually not. we're not in the middle of politics. I mean, that's not us. It's been interesting these last few weeks as we've uh, done these interviews uh, from the Freedom Fest show. There's just so many different uh, people to talk to. We had a, a really uh, great opportunity to interview all the folks we did last week, and then, of course, Peter this week, and, and next week, uh, Steve Forbes. It's going to be great. But uh, the book that we uh, gave away today on the show, the How 
how an economy grows and why it crashes. Uh, I have had a chance uh, since the interview to to read the book, and it's it's amazing. It it really explains a ton. If you're lost when you're hearing the headlines about the economy and all the moving parts of that, and you can't quite follow along. This book, in very, very easy manner, simple example, shows you more than, than you can imagine. I, I couldn't recommend this book more highly. And what's interesting uh, is that it's really based uh, on a book that was written years ago by his dad. Yeah. Uh, Peter's dad's name is Erwin Schiff, prolific author, a very opinionated guy, uh, has a lot to say on the subject of tax and economy. Maybe too much to say. Yeah, well, probably too much to say. But he wrote a book, uh, How an Economy Grows and Why It Doesn't, and that that book actually was the basis for part of the the writing that we did in Equity Happens in Chapter Three, where we were trying to explain those very same concepts. And it's where it's where I learned it. I learned it reading that book. And so having a chance to meet Peter Schiff was was great for me. You know, I'm still a groupie, and you know, I I, I just get all excited when I meet these people. Um, but big fan of his dad's, big fan of what he's doing because he is taking complex economic. Uh, concepts and breaking them down into uh, analogies and very simple stories that the really an eighth grader can understand. And once you get really what an economy is at a very fundamental level, as you extrapolate out to towns and cities and states and globally, the basic principles of the flow of money and the function of banking and the function of government and how these policies that get made affect you and the price of goods that you pay and the interest that you pay on the money that you you want to use to buy your real estate or create jobs or have entrepreneurs create jobs for your tenants. All of it is intertwined and it, it can be very intimidating. And Peter and his dad do a great job breaking it down so you can really get it. We can't recommend the book enough. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to watch how they do it and explain in uh, basic principles. And, and uh, boy, if I can understand it, you can. The book is called How an Economy Grows and Why It Crashes. Peter wrote it with his brother, Andrew. And, of course, they dedicated it to, to their dad. Uh, so just uh, just great stuff. I, I would say that uh, we're at interesting times right now. And it's important as real estate investors that we monitor a lot more than just real estate. I mean, Peter, at his core, is not a real estate guy, right? No. He's, he's a stock guy. And, and as you heard him say, and he was renting a house, right? He didn't even look at the, at the real estate market certainly the same way we do or as real estate investors do. But I think we absolutely can learn from anybody who is watching what happens in this economy. There's no doubt that economics, macroeconomics, the supply of money globally had a direct impact on our real estate and availability of capital and job creation. There's no doubt about that. These last two, three years have taught us that, the importance of understanding these. I've been looking at Keynesian economics, uh, Austrian economics, going back and looking at these different types of philosophies, talking to as many, you know, we talked to um, Richard Duncan when we were at the Kiyosaki event, as many economists as we have the opportunity to talk to, uh, trying to get our mind around all of their different philosophies and theories and understanding. And then you have to look at the world and say, what makes the most sense to me? Because it really is a life or death situation from a financial perspective. Yeah, it sure is. And no one's going to be as concerned about your real estate investments as you are and you need to be the captain of your own ship to go figure it out. And this is just a great way for you to continue to expand your knowledge, understand what's happening in the economy, understand what makes markets move, and understand what that means to you. One thing we're working on to help you with all of this is we've uh, revamped our uh, recommended reading section on our website. If you go to realestateguysradio.com, click on resources and track down to books. 
Uh, we, we have uh, many of the books that we've been talking about are there. You can check them out. If we've done a review, you'll see that. Uh, and then we're going to group them together under topics that we think are, make sense. So if you want to study economics as it relates to real estate, we'll have a list of recommended reading there. All right. Interesting enough, uh, Peter's not the first candidate for office we've had on the show. And uh, the real estate guys are open to hearing anybody that's running for office. It doesn't matter to us which side you're on, what your opinion is, any of that. We think we want to hear that. And so this is an open invitation for anyone who might be uh, listening to our show that uh, we're not taking any position here. We just want to see what the people out here that are running for office have to say. And uh, it's just one more forum for people to decide what makes sense in their lives. You know, when you're talking to your money, it really doesn't matter what the politics are in terms of trying to figure out. It matters not what you the way you want them to be you have to deal with things the way they really are and there is there are people out there on both sides of the fence that have power that have money that have influence and one party comes in or one philosophy comes into power another philosophy goes out and back and forth and you you have to look at that and try to begin to predict what is going to happen to me and my investments and how can I position myself in the most probable outcome all right well uh, there you go a great interview and a great show and a big thanks to Peter Schiff and uh, the big thanks to Martha for setting up that interview for us. Uh, also, we'd like to thank our sponsors for making the Real Estate Guys show possible. Check them out at our website at realestateguysradio.com. Our great engineering team for getting the show uh, onto the air and onto the podcast. And uh, thanks to you, our listener. Remember, next week on the Real Estate Guys, we've got an interview with uh, publisher and editor Steve Forbes. It should be great. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week where we'll make some equity happen. If you're like me and thousands of others, you know that the Real Estate Guys radio show is a great source for quality content about investing in real estate. But did you know that they also have a book? I just finished reading their book, Equity Happens, and I was blown away by how much I learned. If you're ready to create sustainable wealth through real estate, you need to get Equity Happens. You'll learn, just as I did, about what it takes to prosper in the real estate industry. So don't wait. Make Equity Happen to you. Order your copy today at equityhappens.com.